the message I have to share with you this morning is maybe a little different than typical. It is um, the title is Nine Duties, Nine Duties You Have to Your Local Church. I, I've been preparing for our next couple instruction class lessons, which have to do with church, which is no small subject. I've been trying to uh, be ready for that. And as I was studying, one of the questions I, I started asking and tried to answer is, what does the New Testament teach about our obligation to our local brotherhood? And, and as I was going through that, I, I picked out nine different obligations that I would like to share with you this morning. They all have clearly a local church context. They are directed to the body as a whole, not just to certain members of the body. It's to the body as a whole. And this is not at all a comprehensive list of duties. There are other ones. I'm well aware of that. But these are the nine I'd like to point out this morning. And each of them I don't really get to um, flesh out fully. Just going to have to observe them and make a few comments and move on. And even the passages that we look at, I won't be able to dig into very much. So uh, my goal is that this will just remind us of our obligations to each other and to God here at Bethel. This is something that God cares about a whole lot. The local church is something He cares about. In fact, I was impressed again recently to see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is described as God's temple. You're aware that, that elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I think it is, that Paul mentions that your body is God's, is the spirit of the Holy Ghost, but also the local church is a temple. In, in chapter 3, verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And so, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the universal church. Local churches can struggle. They can wander. They can grow cold. They can lose their focus. We see some churches in the book of Revelation that weren't doing so well. And so we want to make sure that we, each of us, as a member of this church, are doing our part to make sure that doesn't happen. So here are the nine duties. The first three duties or obligations have to do with uh, communication. We are supposed to be spiritually expressive people. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's a whole lot of expression. Uh, the first duty I would like to point out is we have a duty to encourage our brothers and sisters in the church. And I'll read a couple of verses from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you 
an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So every day, exhort each other and to be verbal encouragement to protect against the deceitfulness of sin. Encouragers are defenders. And that is also emphasized again in Hebrews chapter 10. The protective nature of encouragement is kind of brought out here in this context. Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25 say, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without waver, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, which is a phrase that impresses me, uh, this is something we should be thinking about. Encouragement. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Which also impresses me that our encouragement can really affect each other at a heart level. Not just good works. We can stir up love within each other. How to serve one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. And encouragement is a large not only is it upbuilding, it is a defense. Encouragers are defenders. And it's, it's just, even small things can make a, make a big difference. Just a pat on the shoulder. Ed Hilty, I remember, one of the things I remember most about Ed Hilty was his shoulder squeeze that he would give people. Uh, I remember him giving me a squeeze walking past my bench church. That's encouraging. And also effective is just being a solid Christian, doing your part, just observing that. It is encouraging. My testimony is that I have received a lot of encouragement from many of you over the years, especially since I was ordained, and it has been very helpful. Do your, your duty to your church is to be an encourager. Maybe a lot of it will happen, um, will come naturally, um, but it is also something we should consider and think about. How can I encourage my church? There are people in this body who are discouraged. They're just us. Probably always is at least one person facing some discouragement. And, and we should be thinking about how can we build each other up. So that's number one duty. And of course, how to do that, that's going to be on the scope of of this message, but I'm pointing out the duty, so let's keep going. Number two is to admonish disobedience. This is the second duty as we call it in the New Testament. Admonition, not nearly as appealing as encouragement, but a church needs both. Admonish is a word that can mean kind of has a spectrum of meanings. On the one end, it can mean something sort of similar to encouragement, exhort or instruct, and then on the other end, it is a bit firmer maybe, and means something more like warning. 
In First Thessalonians chapter five, verse fourteen. I think this is the more stern kind of admonishment. Paul says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be taken with them all. So the faint-hearted get encouragement, but the idle, who have not been responding well, Paul's bit of history with this group of people, and I would say that the idle haven't been responding well to his encouragement, and so now he says, admonish them. It, it's a necessary part of body life. And it is not just a job for, for the believers, the elders. You don't have to be ordained for it to be your job to admonish someone who is not obeying Jesus. Luke 17.3, if your brother sins, rebuke him in, in that context if he sins against you. Rebuke him. Galatians 6 1. Brothers, if anyone is called of any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, which would require some admonishment. So that was the second expressive duty. The third one is had trouble titling this one. I just finally chose to speak the truth. I'll read some verses from Ephesians 4 here. Okay, these are also a very familiar passage. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. And I will um, fall in the middle of his sentence, which goes on for a ways. So there are some special roles um, in, that he points out in, this, in these verses. And those with the special roles are to equip the saints and help mature the body. And then the, the mature body, which is no longer made up of just immature children, the mature body is not swayed by every wind of doctrine, but instead speaks the truth in love, which is my focus here. This, this, there's more going on than just speaking the truth in love, but that's what I want to focus on. And because Paul has just been talking about winds of doctrine, when I get to speak the truth in love, I think he's talking about speaking doctrinal truth, supporting it, uh, using it to build up each other, using it to encourage and mature each other, but also to counteract the winds and waves of doctrine that aren't quite right. So we encounter teachings and influences that range from outright, outright wrong heresy to stuff that is, is somewhat mixed, but is uh, maybe is a little bit unbalanced, and maybe stuff that is you know, 90% accurate and, and um, this is a, there's a way 
there's a range of of um, inaccuracy, maybe. And I think we face some doctrinal wins. I, I think we do. Maybe in a different way than, than if we had lived many years ago, but we're, I think, in some ways more open to outside influence. I think we face the wins of doctrine. I know that, for example, I don't know if you've heard of the book Calling, no, Jesus Calling. I haven't read it, so I can't really comment on it very much, except that I've read some reviews about it, and I'm a little worried about it. Jesus Calling. Very popular devotional book. And it's kind of a, or it had been a fad. I don't know if it's, it's still very popular or not. Uh, the thing is with Christian fads is, like most fad diets, they tend to have some unbalance to them. And, and we may need to say, you know what, this isn't quite, there's some truth here, but there's some balance that needs to be added. A number of years ago, uh, a big fad was the prayer of Jabez, which I don't think I have a huge problem with, but when I read it, when I read it back then, I remember thinking, there isn't something quite right. There's some balance missing here, and I'm pretty sure if I went back and reread it, I would still say the same thing. It was missing some balance. And I think we need to um, be prepared to speak correcting, balancing the truth, because we all probably get a little bit out of balance one time or another and, and need some, need some uh, helpful perspective from each other. So speak the truth in love. And I'm, I'm talking about doctrinal issues here. I'm not talking about correcting somebody who gets Elisha and Elijah confused. Sorry. I'm talking about on a doctrinal level, we need to speak the truth to each other. And in love, because it's less annoying and more helpful that way. So the first three duties that I see are encouraging your brothers and sisters, admonishing the disobedient, and speaking the truth. They all have to do with uh, spiritual expression. We have to be spiritually expressive people. We have to be able to connect with each other on a spiritual level. You can't do these three otherwise. All right, going on to number four. The fourth teaching I see about our obligation to each other in the local body is to forgive each other. Now, there is general teaching in the Gospels that says we should forgive everyone, right around the Lord's Prayer. There are two specific instances in the New Testament where we are told to forgive each other, one another, part of a local body. Colossians 3.13, this is the verse we're going to keep bumping into as we go throughout the study. Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another... And if one has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And then Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, these commands tell us that Christians can't hurt each other. And maybe 
These hurts are especially painful when they come from brothers and sisters in the church who do believe in Jesus and have the Holy Spirit and should know better, right? But Paul recognizes that these kind of things are going to happen. They're, they, they're going to happen in Ephesus and Colossae and probably Gladys. And when offenses happen, our obligation is to forgive. We're also obligated to, to try not to be the offender. Not, but not forgiving is very damaging to yourself, obviously, but it's also damaging to the body of Christ. It will wound the local body. So if you don't want to be a destroyer, be sure to forgive. Our fifth obligation also comes from Colossians 3.13, and it is to put up with each other. Now, this is similar but not the same as forgiving, because in this case, there isn't a specific injury, maybe, that needs to be forgiven. The thing is, when we've been hurt by someone, we know we need to forgive them. We know that's clearly our obligation to forgive. When someone is just kind of driving us crazy, I think, I would guess, that we are much more apt to be okay with being fed up with them than if we would realize that we have to forgive them. That's a clear obligation. But the truth is, um, while we may be tempted to avoid them or complain about them or admonish them sternly without any love, Paul says, you do have an obligation to them and it is to bear with them. So Colossians 3, this time I'll back up to verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord is forgiving you, so you also must forgive. And over in Ephesians 4, Paul is urging them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So I think there were people in Thessalonica that were... um, becoming a serious aggravation to Paul. And I think they could have driven him crazy. But he taught, and I believe he practiced, what he said in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. They should admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So don't, we don't need to throw a fit because our church has some imperfect people in our church who should be grown up by now, but instead we should be patient with them, which does not mean do nothing. It doesn't mean do nothing and stand back. Instead, we should be doing what we can to help them instead of reacting or writing them off. 
Number six is obey your church leadership. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. I always appreciate his, his uh, terminology there. Not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So that is just a clear obligation that I want to point out. Obey your leaders to the advantage of you and your local church. Number seven is to use your gift to serve. Uh, this is an idea that I, I really can't cover adequately in just a few minutes, and there's a bunch of passages we can look at that would relate to how to use it, how to use your gift in a church. Um, I'm going to start with First Peter four, verse ten. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So what that tells us is that everyone has been given something, some, some means in which they can use, uh, I'm sorry, some means in which they can serve God in their local church. To serve each other. And that's a good stewardship. They use their gifts, they use their talents, and so on. Uh, your church needs your gift to be put to service, but not without some discretion. Uh, over in Romans 12, if you turn there, I want you to notice how Paul uses the expression a sober judgment and not thinking too highly of yourself. And it's used in the context of, of using our gifts. Romans 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have, do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So use your gifts, but don't think too highly of yourself. You need to respect the gifts and feelings and concerns of others as you put your gift to use. Because it is not important that you use your gift. It is important that you serve the church, that you serve God with your gift. Gift activation here is not the end goal. It is service. It is the end goal. And each of us just taking these verses at face value, each of us have a way in which we can meaningfully serve our local body, which we can meaningfully serve each other. And we will all be better off when we all do that. 
Number eight is to value each member. I see this taught in, in the New Testament, especially in First Corinthians chapter 12. The eye cannot say to the hand, I'm starting at verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, bringing the illustration to home now, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you're familiar with this passage, and the imagery is, is pretty simple. The church is like a body. In a body, each member needs the other members. Hands need feet. Feet need hands. hands. Even eyebrows are appreciated. The body suffers and rejoices together. My three-year-old son enjoys back scratches, which does not really sound like a three-year-old. Sounds like an older person kind of thing. But he likes them. He discovers them and he appreciates them, especially before he goes to bed. And when he is uh, kneeling on his blanket and getting a back scratch, uh, his feet, his arms, elbows, whatever, everything is appreciating what's going, what's, what the back is getting. They're not flailing around and distracted and bored or even jealous. They're just happy that the back is being scratched. He is quite angelic when he's getting a back scratch. Spanking are a different story. But, yeah. Any part of your body is suffering, the whole thing is unhappy. I was cutting up hot peppers a few weeks ago. I, I don't know why I did this, but I didn't wash my hands well enough. Then I went to put in my contacts. It's not a great idea. And, and my feet and my hands were trying to be as helpful as possible. Feet were keeping me near the sink. Hands were washing my hands, trying to get my contact out, which to make matters worse, I thought it had slipped in behind my eyes because I was rubbing desperately, and it hadn't. It had actually fallen out. Either that or it's still there. This is a few weeks ago, so I'm hoping not. But yeah, I, I was uh, as much as, you know, and there were some parts of me, like my ears, that could do nothing. But um, I'm sure they were feeling sorry for the rest for my eyes. My one eye. I didn't do it to both eyes. The whole part of your body is suffering. If any part of your body is suffering, your whole body is unhappy about it. And God's intention is that our church operate the same way. Any part suffers, we all suffer. When one part is rejoicing or great things are happening over there, we should all be happy about it. And, and the reason is because we recognize that we are all valuable 
and matter. It's, there are really no unimportant members in a local church. It's not like some of us came from Nordstrom's and others of us came from Dollar General. We're all valuable to each other. And if this operation here is going to work properly, it's going to, it's going to work best when we are all contributing and doing well, like it says in Ephesians 4. Now, the truth is, some of us probably are working, functioning more properly than others. But I don't always function very well. But we should value each member and our desire to be to see each, each part of the body doing well. Because if you're doing well, I'm going to benefit. I don't know if spiritual selfishness is, is, a, is an okay thing or not, but I, I want you to do well because I'm going to benefit from it. We're going to benefit from each other. It doesn't make any sense, really, to be jealous of anyone who is doing well. We want them all to do well and be functioning properly. So point number nine is to pursue love for all. And this is really the, the one that kind of encompasses all the others. First uh, Thessalonians 3, verse 12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. I wanted to start with that because that is Paul's prayer for the church of Thessalonica. And I want to be balanced about what I say about abounding in love. And to show that this is something that God can make increase and abound. However, Christians are still capable of being unloving. In fact, I would say it, it doesn't really take special effort uh, to not be a very loving Christian. At least maybe not some people. And 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says this. So this is right after the love chapter. First verse after the love chapter. It says, pursue love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gift, especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love or follow after love is what it says in King James Version. It sounds like, yeah, pursue, chasing. And so just, uh, just, we probably should not be just sitting around and waiting for God to turn us into loving people. If we wait for that, we will probably be disappointed. Now, part of the pursuing of love is a prayer like Paul's prayer, which is, Lord, help me to abound in love and increase my love for my fellow believer. Part of that pursuit is, is prayer. Part of it is 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 making a decision and choosing to be, to act in a loving way. Back to Colossians 3, verse, verses 12 through 14. This is the third time. If you're not tired of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 is one of them. I mean, we could have just spent our whole time there. It is, it is full of, of one another. It is very focused on behavior in the body. 
Okay, so put on then, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one is complained against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And verse 14, which I was saving for now, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So put on love. It's almost like it is, it's, it's there, it's at our feet, we have to put it on. And without love, the local body is not going to be bound together in perfect harmony. So the disjointed discord. First Peter four verse seven: The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. I just want to point out that Peter and Paul both agree that when it comes to love, its range is above all. Above all. Keep loving one another. It covers a multitude of sins, which I don't think means if I'm loving enough, it's okay if I put up a sin problem in my life or in your life. I think what it says is if I am loving, the forgiveness will flow much more easily, and our imperfections will not cause uh, irreparable wounds to body. Pursue love. It's going to require prayer, abiding in Jesus, learning from Him, and then at some point a choice to love people, even when you don't really feel very loving. So, let me just uh, recap by reading the nine points. But I think that there are others. There, there are quite a few others. Uh, I think these are heavily emphasized. And um, number one was to encourage your brothers and sisters, <clears throat> admonish the disobedient, speak the truth, forgive each other, put up with each other, obey your church leadership, use your gifts to serve. Value each member for two love for all. Those are the nine points. There are two prereqs for being able to do this in the local body. Very simple prerequisites. Okay, you can't do these nine things unless you, you meet these two conditions. Uh, one is to be a Christian. Simple enough. The second is to belong to local body. Uh, you can do some of these things, I'll acknowledge. You can do some of these things without belonging to a particular church and do it in a, in a more general sense. But many of these duties, what, what impressed me is that many of these duties are, are hard, if not impossible, to do without being in a long-term relationship with a specific group of believers. Belonging to a church is it's not marriage, it's not marriage, I don't think that would be theologically accurate. But there, there needs to be a long-term relationship with a certain group of believers. Because uh, some of these things are just very hard to do without that 
context. Um, admonishing the disobedient. You know, any kind of admonishment would be most helpful when there is some understanding and a relationship and some insight there. Um, valuing each member so that we all suffer and rejoice together. That takes knowing people and, and being aware of what they're going through. And you just can't develop that in a single Sunday morning. Uh, what about putting up with each other, bearing with each other? You know, if it's just every Sunday I'm meeting with a different random collection of believers, I don't really see a great need for bearing with each other. I mean, we may be sitting on the same bench and you were sniffing your nose a lot throughout the church service or something, but I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. I think he's talking about something in the context of a long-term relationship where there's a lot of interaction and we have to bear with each other. And certainly, obeying your leaders is a hard thing to do if you don't identify with a specific body. So, you, you need to belong to a, to, a, to a church. You need to be a Christian for these things to happen. Uh, I think the New Testament teaches that the local body is something that grows and matures together. It is a real thing with an identity and boundaries. It's not just a collection of random Christians who happen to be in the same place on a Sunday morning. All right, and then I would just conclude with a few thoughts about what are some hindrances to doing these nine obligations. It's not, it's not a very good list of hindrances, but here are a few. I think one hindrance would be belonging to a mega church, belonging to a huge church. Uh, when I look at these New Testament duties, I see something more like an extended family. I don't see how they, they fit very well in a, in a huge church. I've never been part of a huge church. A uh, second hindrance is would be not regularly interacting with church people. similar to what I said about belonging to a church body. It just takes regular interaction with church people for these duties to make sense and for us to do them. Another hindrance would be just being too busy to contribute meaningfully to your church body. Uh, you have duties to your local, you have duties beyond just your local church. I want to point that out. You, you have duties to your family, your spouse, to the universal church. Your duties, your duties to the lost. Sometimes you have to choose between these duties. I understand that, but what should not happen is when we are regularly sacrificing church duties for other things that aren't real duties aren't real needs, they're just things we want to do. So be careful not to let that make you too busy to contribute meaningfully to your church. I think another hindrance would be belonging to a church where uh, maybe the church leaders are expected to do more than they should be doing, where they're expected to do uh, most of the work. That would probably interfere with us being able to do these duties. And finally, the biggest hindrance 
it's probably our own spiritual immaturity. That's that's really probably the biggest hindrance is where we where we ourselves personally as an individual just need to grow up and need to abide in Christ and be dedicated to to knowing him and serving him as best we can. Okay, we're going to close just a little bit differently than usual. Uh, I think we will stand for a prayer, and then after the prayer, you can remain standing, and Derek will lead us in the closing song, and then after that, we'll be done. Let's stand for prayer. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for your word. We really need your word to be part of our lives. Uh, you talked about it. Needing to dwell in us richly, I pray that it would be part of us. I pray that you would help us to be spiritually expressive to each other, to encourage, to admonish, um, to speak the truth, help us to value and love each member, help us to, to do all these, these duties that um, we looked at this morning and, and the other ones. Help us be faithful to you, to your church, and to value it as much as you do. Um, it, is a, it is a wonderful opportunity for us to be part of. And thank you for it. Thank you for your faithfulness to each of us individually and your faithfulness to your church. In Jesus' name, amen.